1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On The Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. Our expert from Remax Prime Properties is Asif Khan. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. And we'll begin today's real estate conversation with a focus on sales. Asif, what's the headline? The headlines uh, they seem pretty scary, Tina, because they're looking mm. at total sales. So the Toronto Real Estate Board numbers showed that our sales year-to-date were down almost 50%. And, and sorry, that was for the month of October. Now, when you're looking at year-to-date sales, we're still going to be down a, a significant amount of sales. However, when you look at the average price, now, if you look at October for year-over-year, year, we were down about 6%. But when you look at year-over-year year stats for the entire year, uh, you're looking at an increase of about 6 to 8%. And that is a pretty healthy increase. And that's something that we were used to over the years. We had some anomalies with uh, sales going up 20%, 25%, 30%. But we knew that that wouldn't continue. So we're settling back into more of a normal market right now. What can you tell us about the specific York region market? York Region seems to be about the same. So for York Region, we're probably going to finish 2022 down about 42% in terms of overall sales. Uh, we'll probably finish around the 11,500 sale mark. And last year was a phenomenal year, 2021, for York Region. We sold almost 20,000 homes. And you know that was a tough act to follow for any year. Uh, especially coming off of a record-breaking year. However, when you look at average price, Tina, we're still up about 9% in terms of average price, or or we will be up about 9% for average price for the year uh, for 2022. What's your message then right now for anyone thinking about buying or selling? When you look at the inventory levels, we're at about two and a half months of inventory. and, And that's been a huge increase over times when we had half a month or 0.75% uh, uh, inventory when you're looking at months of inventory. It's not a lot of inventory, but when you have two and a half months, it's still not a lot of inventory, but it feels like there's a lot of inventory. So now you're driving around and you're actually seeing for sales signs and, and you have choice, which you didn't before. So even with the rates going up, the rates have gotten to 5 to 6%, which Three years ago, this would have been a pretty normal type of rate. And, you know, it's still a great time to buy because you have more choice. You, you're able to get a home inspection condition in. You're able to get a financing condition in. You're able to negotiate price. And, and you have choice. So it is a good time to buy. There's a lot of misconceptions that this is a terrible time to buy and that rates are going to keep continuing to go up. Uh, there's a saying in real estate Marry the house, date the rate. And what that means is when you find the house that you fall in love with, go get it because you can always renegotiate the rate or refinance the rate later on. You know, you're going to be locked in for, what, two years, three years, five years, but you can always renegotiate that rate. So if you find the house that you love, 
that's when you have to act. What about those who are thinking about, you know what, I'm going to wait this out. The prices are going to drop. Thoughts? The average price may drop, but the prices of houses aren't really dropping. And if if you think about why the average price is dropping, there's been a shift in the mix. There's less people qualifying for the higher-end houses. Now, in a typical recession, by typical recession, I mean people are forced to sell because there's huge job losses and things like that. Um, those are catalysts that we don't have right now. So the people that want to sell their home and move forward and buy another home, they're just taking their homes off the market because there's no reason for them to sell at a price that they don't think is congruent with what their thought process is or, or where they want to end up. So there's, there's actually no catalyst for them to sell that house and take a loss. So you, you've got people holding on to these houses, and, and that's affecting the inventory level. Like realistically, we should be at about three to four months of inventory right now. We're sitting under three months, and and that's because people have taken their homes off the market because they don't need to sell them. They don't need to sell them for less. The average price that you're seeing drop is because what's happened is the mix has shifted. So people that would qualify a larger home are now being uh, qualified at less. And instead of buying that detached home, they may be buying a semi-detached. Instead of buying semi-detached, they may be buying a townhouse. Or instead of buying a townhouse, they may be buying a condo. So everything has shifted down a little bit. And when you have more sales in the lower priced items, the average price is going to come down. In the COVID periods, we saw the average price climb 25, 30, 35%. And that was because everyone was turning their attention towards detached homes with land, with, uh, you know, backyards that they could have pools in. So that drove up the average price. And, you know, it, we talked about this before where we said it's not really the price going up 25 or 30%. It's the average price going up because you weren't seeing condos sell as much as they did, but you were seeing detached homes sell a lot more. And and when you have that shift in the mix, it's going to drive the price up. Now we're seeing that shift the opposite way, and the average price is coming down. So it doesn't necessarily mean that every house in Toronto or in York region has faced a loss. All it means is the average price has come down. And what's your message then to those who think they overpaid and they're regretting it now? Well, real estate is cyclical, right? So you're going to have peaks and valleys. And it's not something that you buy and six months later you sell and, uh, you know, or, or you buy again in six months or a year. Usually people are in their homes for five years to seven years. And, and, and that's been stretching out a little bit more now. So now you're seeing people stay in their homes longer. And as long as you're in for the long run, then you don't have to worry about these little peaks and valleys that you're going to go through over the first couple of years after you buy your home. Because over time, your home is going to appreciate. Look at what we're facing with immigration right now. We have a lot more people coming in. We have uh, rates stabilizing, maybe around the 5 to 6% mark. It, eventually, they'll go down a little bit. We're never going to see these 2% rates or 1.5% rates that we have. So if you're waiting for that to happen, uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, you're going to settle in around between the 4 and 6% mark for interest rates. And that was pretty normal. I, I know when I bought my first house, if someone would have said to me, you're going to have a 5.5% interest rate, I would have happily taken it mm. because that was a great rate. And that's where we're at again. And 
you know, if you're sitting on the sidelines to buy, the price continues to go up and you're throwing away buying power. The rate's going to go up and down. It's going to fluctuate. So don't go based on what the rate is. Qualify for the house that you can get into now. Build equity in that property over the next few years. And then you can move up to your dream home later on or your forever home later on. But get into the market because the longer you wait on the sidelines, that home ownership dream is just going to continue to get farther and farther away. The other thing is you're going to be renting. And if you're renting, the rents are skyrocketing. We just do not have enough properties. We're, we're in a housing crisis. We do not have enough rental properties. We do not have enough properties to sell. Uh, so, you know, and there's no relief in the immediate future for that. There's a lot of talk of building one and a half million homes and releasing Greenbelt land to build more, but that's down the road. Right now, the reality is we do not have enough homes. So if you find the house that you love, jump in. So what's your best guess or your one takeaway as we near the end of 2022 and head into 2023 in the real estate industry? I think the real estate industry is going to be just fine. It's it's a year where we have seen the most interest rate hikes within a 12-month period. And that has caused a lot of concern. But there's also a lot of people out there that have never seen a normal rate, that have never seen inventories hit even two and a half months or three months. But this is typical of the real estate market. And, and, you know, I, I remember when we had four or five months of inventory. I remember when the rates were 5% or 6% and people still buy and sell houses. Right now, we're comparing it to a couple of pandemic years where the government had cut the rate drastically and it was basically free money. And, you know, unless we have another pandemic where the government is forced to do that, you're not going to see that again, just like you're not going to see those $2,000 SERP payments again. So this is a normal real estate market and we've forgotten what normal looks like. And that's why right now there's a lot of uncertainty out there. It's because we have forgotten what three years ago or four years ago looked like in the real estate industry. After the break, women in construction. This is On The Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On The Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On The Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. Over to my co-host and our real estate expert, Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties with today's guest, Asif. Thank you, Tina. And joining us is Natasha Ferguson, owner of Ethel Fox Construction Group and the creator of the nonprofit, A Woman's Work. Welcome to On the Market, Natasha. Hi. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Great. Now, before we talk about A Woman's Work, Tell us a little bit about your construction company. How did that start for you? Well, you know, it was kind of, uh, <laughs> it got started by an accident, actually. Um, it, my father introduced me to the trades when I was a, a young girl. Um, he's a tradesman. He's about 79 and still a tradesman. I actually um, was a bit of a tinkerer and, and would be going on his job sites with him. Um, fortunately, I didn't go into construction right off the bat. I was in marketing and advertising, and then it wouldn't be until later that um, I kind of got in, 
interested into the construction trades again um, and sort of utilized some of the things that I had learned as a child and, and brought it into the business along with my uh, marketing and corporate communications background. And Natasha, how has the reception been for you in a primarily and mainly male-dominated workforce? Um, I mean, in the beginning, the challenges, there there were many, uh, you know, just getting people to take you seriously. Um, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I even started this company was because I was going for job interviews and applying for jobs, and I just wasn't getting the jobs. And um, I knew it was because... Um, you know, I'm a, I'm, a woman, I'm a woman of color, but it was more because I was a woman. So um, that was a big challenge for me, uh, uh, a huge pill for me to swallow. And I decided I, you know, I wanted to make some changes in the industry, make it better for um, women coming in after me, I'm um, into the industry, um, make it better for them. That's awesome. And what's the response been like within the industry itself? I mean, you know, wow, it's been a, such an amazing response. Um, you know, at least three or four times a week I'm getting um, emails from uh, women's fathers, women themselves, transgender, you know, um, wanting to know how they can get into the industry and, and how I started. So it's been, it's been really amazing um, being a part of, of this movement and being an inspiration to others. And how did you train and prepare to be not only in the industry and working in it, but be a leader and an owner of a construction company? Well, it was it was really mentors. Um, I've had a lot of mentors. I've studied with um, you know one of the top um, tile tile setters and an older an older gentleman from Italy. Um, you know, I've I've had tons of mentors within drywall. Um, you know, hardscape. And I really just kind of, um, you know, put my nose to the grindstone and, and just started trying to understand the industry and what the industry had to offer. Um, and, and also because I'm kind of like a serial uh, uh, entrepreneur, um, you know, the business, the, the construction industry and, and some of the uh, parts of the industry really interested me. Um, to say the least, I never thought that, you know, you would be able to make $45 an hour um, drywalling, mud and taping uh, uh, um, as, a, as a trade and as a career. So these were all things that were interesting to me. And, and once I started to kind of get into the industry more and dive into it, um, I wanted to learn more. And I'm still continuing to, you know, upgrade on my skill set. Today I, I have seven skill uh, trades under my belt. So uh, it's been pretty exciting, actually. And, and, you know, being in the real estate field, we're, we're seeing construction delays, new construction uh, stoppages mm-hmm. because there just isn't the, the number of skilled workers that we need to fulfill projects. Do you see yeah, that women playing a, a role to change that now and add more people to the workforce just because of what you've started? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, last year when I started this and, you know, I started having conversations with with media and telling them what I wanted to do, I said, you know, I mean, I want to be able to put at least 100 women a, a year through this program, which obviously you're going to see an increase um, of people in the industry. But it goes, it goes past that. It's a little bit more in-depth with regards to how we have to educate some of these companies and construction companies um, that aren't hiring women. So there's a, there's a piece of education there that's missing. Um, and I also want to kind of fulfill through my program. Um, because I've, I've been in the industry for 
the amount of time that I have been in the industry for at this point, and I understand the pain points in it. It's been very easy for me to have conversations with other uh, general contractors and construction companies. So I'm really looking forward to getting more women involved and, and just even, you know, it's not about just getting into a trade, but it's just also the education around the industry and understanding what the industry has to offer. So those are some of the things that I'm going to be touching on through um, my nonprofit, A Woman's Work. And I know we're going to get to the nonprofit, but I have one more question about mm-hmm. just your general work in this industry. What's your message mm-hmm. to young women, young girls who are maybe considering a career, a future in the skilled trades? And maybe what's your message to their parents and guardians as well? I think, you know, I'll start with the parents and guardians and even the schools. I think um, we have to get away from the stereotype of what it means to be in the trades and to be a tradesperson. Um, You know, historically, we've looked at the trades as being blue collar. And if you're in the trades, you're not very smart. But (laughs) I can tell you being from both industries, being from the corporate world and now being in this world and totally invested in this world, um, there are definitely skill sets that you need um, that you probably wouldn't need in corporate. Um, you know, problem-solving skills, um, people skills, knowing how to, the business side of, of, of it, so the entrepreneurial aspect of it. Um, you know, I would tell them to sort of start getting rid of those stereotypes. Um, I'd also say to the women to, to, and young girls growing up is explore. Um, there's nothing like good old-fashioned um, exploration within um, an industry that you're interested in, and that's kind of where it starts. Start seeing where the, the, the career uh, opportunities lie, um, you know, um, and, and change your mindset. We understand that as, as women and girls when we're growing up, we're taught um, to think a certain way based on our gender, and we think we can do certain jobs based on our gender. Um, so, you know that's going to take a mindset uh, to change that mindset. And it's something that I also had to do and why I'm seeing so much success in the industry. And Natasha, you have some pretty amazing workshops coming up and, uh, you know, starting over the next few weeks. But tell our listeners uh, that may want to attend what these workshops will do for them. I mean, these are uh, deemed grassroots apprenticeship programs. And they're free, if I'm correct. What will you be teaching them, and how do they register? We want to teach them first um, what it is to handle a tool. So the first uh, class that I'm I'm starting, uh, I'm calling it a pilot uh, training session, is called uh, Tools and Equipment, the Saw. Did you guys know that there are 55 different types of saws? I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there are. Uh, we're not going to be highlighting, we're not going to be teaching all 55 saws, but, you know, one of the things that happened to me when I first got in the industry is I know how to handle a concrete saw. A concrete saw is huge. It's, you know, it's dangerous. Um, you know, we can't expect women to, to be uh, daunted by these big tools and then say, hey, learn a trade and use one of these tools. So I think it's important that we kind of focus on grassroots, as you said, and we start with the tools. Um, and understanding how to work these tools so that, you know, moving forward, I think it's a good introduction into the industry, um, but moving forward into it, you feel a lot more comfortable with the tools, and then you can perform the trade, right? So um, that's kind of like our angle and, and how we want to approach things. And, you know, up until um, 
recently we've had a hundred women, over a hundred women apply um, to be a part of our first pilot program. We're going to be giving these programs next year as well. Um, there'll be a, another training course called uh, Tools and Equipment to Drill, um, and that's going to be interesting as well. One of our partners is Milwaukee um, and, and Hilton Scaffolding, which is bringing on their virtual safety training. I um, mean, as well as um, Fox Construct Group, our construction company will also be giving a nice class course on freelance entrepreneurship as it pertains to um, uh, using your trade. And, and if you just have one trade, like, you know, you don't have to go out and open up a huge whole company like I did, but you can definitely uh, grab onto one of the trades and, and it can be very lucrative. How do you think these workshops, how do you think your nonprofit, a women's work, will help fill the labor shortage in this area? Well, more women understanding the, the getting that introduction um, to the industry means uh, more people exploring the industry and, and trying to find out more ways how they can get into it. Um, if they're taking these programs, the next program for us, is really just going into the trades, what's happening next year. Um, once they get into the, and understand, you know, uh, the career opportunities that exist um, and, and how many different career paths that you can take within the industry, I think right off the bat you're going to see an increase of people, um, uh, especially women, going into the trades. Also, there's, I mentioned, there's learning for the construction companies and really just getting them ready, you know, I was contacted um, by a professor a few months ago, um, and she was getting, you know, looking for co-op placement for um, her students. Well, she had about 30 students in her class. It's a very reputable college. Um, I won't name names, but she said that she was able to place every single one of her students except for um, one student, which happened to be a, a woman. Um, and um, she was told by one of the 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 three companies that she called, point blank, that they don't hire women because they're not strong enough. So you can imagine if we're having these types of conversations now at this day and age, there's a serious problem. So there needs to be education um, for these construction companies because it's, that's discrimination on a very high level. So I'd like to see a lot more participation from the government agencies like, such as Ontario Works um, uh, uh, connecting with companies like myself and other companies and other organizations that are doing putting out these programs. People can't afford um, to pay $11,000 for a carpentry course when they're out of a job, um, when they're, they're new to the country, or whatever, you know, in whatever level of this, um, if they're disfranchised in, in, in their, their life in some way, shape, or form. So we need to start doing, you, you want to see an increase I mean, the people, and not just women, but uh, people in general in this industry, we need to give these programs for free. And, and, and I think that, you know, that's something that the government should put money towards. Um, unfortunately, job fairs just aren't going to be enough. And, and certainly, you know, having coached women's hockey for the last 15 years or so, I know that women are strong. So, so yeah. uh, you know, great work <laughs> we are. getting them involved. and. Uh, you know, I, I hope that uh, this does become mainstream and, and you do get more women coming out uh, for these placements. If our listeners want to connect with you or if they want more information about your workshops, where can they find that? They can go to www.awworg.org.com. Awesome, Natasha. Thank you so much for your time and 
uh, for your efforts in, in getting women involved in the construction industry. Thank you so much for having me, guys. You guys have a great evening. Thank you. When we come back, your questions. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market. Time now for our email questions, and we begin with Thomas and Vaughn. He purchased a pre-construction condo, but is worried now that the condo will not appraise, and with an increase in rates, he may no longer be able to proceed with the purchase. Asif, what's your advice? This is a great question, and you know this is something that a lot of people have been worried about recently. But what you have to look at is usually when people are qualifying for pre-construction condos, there's usually a rate hold. And and that rate hold sometimes could be between three and four years. Sometimes it could be 180 days. It depends on the financial institution that is working with the builder. So just make sure uh, what rate you're going to be receiving. And, and if you have been pre-qualified through one of the representatives that were working with the builder, then you know, usually there is a rate hold. So you may not have to worry too much about that. However, uh, what you do want to take a look at is what these values are are going to appraise at. Now, the condo market hasn't taken as much of a hit uh, as, say, some of the detached or luxury homes out there. So it may not be as bad as you think, and it may just mean, uh, you know, putting a, a little bit more down as opposed to fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 because, uh, a lot of these condos, uh, the price that you purchase them at, it's going to appreciate over time. So if uh, if your condo is three years out, the price that you paid three years ago, it's going to be worth a lot more right now. So it may not be as much of a concern as uh, it may seem right now, but if you were to check that out and, and have a chat with the builder and also with the mortgage representative, it'll give you a lot of peace of mind. Do you expect to see more of these types of questions or concerns? Definitely. I think there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a, a lot of questions left unanswered uh, just with the changing rates and, and people not knowing what they qualify for. And this is why we always tell them, even if you've been pre-qualified three months ago, six months ago, it's a good time to go back and re-qualify. We have another condo question next. John is asking if a home inspection is required when purchasing a condo or if the condo association is always in place to confirm that all appliances are in working order and that there are no structural issues. Asif, what's your advice on this one? Well, the condo associations do have something called a status certificate. Now, it's going to give you all the information that you need to know about the building itself. So if it's structural issues, mechanical issues that relate to the building itself, those will be covered in the status certificate. However, the unit itself, appliances or anything interior from the interior walls in, that's going to be up to the buyer and the seller to, uh, you know, ensure that everything is in good working condition. So do people get home inspections for condos? They do. Uh, it's, it's not as intense as a full home inspection because you're not looking at the roof. You're not looking at uh, various aspects uh, like windows and things like that, which the condo corporation usually has to change. So it just depends on what's covered by the condo corporation within the maintenance fees and 
if you're taking a look at the status, it's going to tell you a lot about the state of the building itself. What you do want to uh, kind of play out for yourself is, do you want that home inspection for the home inspector to go in and check the appliances or, or the interior of the unit? And often a home inspection is not just to point out uh, problems with the unit. It's also to help you understand the maintenance of the unit. So a home inspector can go in and, and tell you what you need to do, not only now, but maybe in the next few years in order to maintain your unit properly. So it's always a good idea. Is a status certificate pretty standard in real estate transactions? Yes, it is. A status certificate, most lawyers will not even uh, look at the uh, agreement of purchase sale unless you have that status certificate. So usually condo transactions are conditional on the lawyer reviewing the status certificate first. So what typically happens is you purchase a condo, the seller has a certain number of days to provide you with a status certificate. Usually it takes between 7 and 14 days for the condo corporation to prepare this status certificate and deliver it to the seller. The seller will then give it to you. Your lawyer usually has three days or five days to review the status certificate. And once the lawyer says everything is okay or points out areas of concern and then you go through it and say, I'm, I'm okay with these, that's when the deal firms up. So most condo transactions are always uh, conditional on a status certificate review. If our listeners are purchasing or thinking about purchasing a resale condo, what should they be aware of in terms of the condo association? You want to make sure that the condo association, it, it has a lot in the reserve fund. And what that means is your maintenance fees, a portion of these maintenance fees will go into a reserve fund. And this is how condos will save up money for major repairs in the long run. If there's not enough money in the reserve fund, there's going to be something called a special assessment. And a special assessment will be, listen, we need to repave the driveway. However, we don't have enough money. It's going to cost everyone $20,000. So a special assessment will be attached to each unit, each seller, or sorry, each owner, uh, which is going to say you owe the condo corporation $20,000. And quite often when people are faced with that and they're trying to sell their units, that becomes a big problem because the buyers are looking at this and saying, well, there's a $20,000 special assessment. I don't want to buy this. Or you're going to have to take that off the price to cover it. So uh, you have to make sure that the, the most important thing is, is there a reserve fund? The other thing that the status certificate will point out is, are there any lawsuits against the builder or the building or the condo corporation? That's going to be mentioned in the status certificate too. So those are two main areas that uh, a lawyer will look at. And Thirdly, they're going to see if the owner is in default of any uh, payments that need to be made to the co uh, condo corporation, if they've done any repairs that haven't been authorized by the condo corporation. So all that should be in the status report. Such good information there. As a reminder, if you have questions for On the Market, hit send anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that? Okay, and they can always text me at 416-985-5426. That's 416-985-CON. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening. 
Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.